Okay, our topic for today. <laughs> we can do more together. I'm sure all of us are in the same boat. When we look at our world, we wish it was a better place. Uh, we wish we could change some things. <clears throat> world in general, specifically our community. The problem is when we live in a place for a while, or even if we're new to a place, we just know these things have been going on for so long and we just get numb to them. We get to accept them. We think that's the way things have to be. Or we just feel that the problems are just too big for us to, to attempt to solve or to tackle or, or to, to make a difference. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, we're going to look at uh, a story from the Bible, Old Testament, actually a whole book. We're going to look at it real quickly, called Nehemiah. He lived about 500 years before Jesus. And he lived in a world that wasn't uh, all that he wanted it to be. And we'll see what he did, and, and he's a good role model, I think, for us. Do we just give up, or we do, do we try and make a difference? So here's where I'm going basically today. Working together can change a generation, can change how a generation sees God. You and I, working together, can change how a generation sees God. How does our generation see God? I got somebody in the first service said they don't see God. And I thought, wow, that's pretty insightful. And I use this example. And when people find I'm a pastor for church. They ask me where it is. And I tell them where it is. And they kind of scratch their head. And I said, Mace Auto Body's on the same corner. Oh! So how do they know where the auto body shop is and they don't know where the church is? I think our steeple sticks up higher than their building. It's just that church and God is just off most our culture's radar anymore. What I love about Nehemiah, he was a doer, not a talker. We have lots of talkers in our society, don't we? But he was a doer. <clears throat> so Nehemiah was in Babylon. He, the, the Israelites have been carried off into Babylon like 100 years before this. Uh, they stayed there for 70 years, and this, the time of Nehemiah is the third time that a group of people were going back to Jerusalem. And he gets this report, and we're going to say, first he names what, what's broken. He names what the problem is. And right in the third verse, he says this. Uh, he gets this report back from Jerusalem. Things are not going well. For those who return to the province of Judah, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now this can't kind of hard for us to relate to. We don't have walls around our cities. So here's the best way I can relate to it. Can you imagine a city without a police department? Because that's what the walls and the gates provided. Safety for the people inside the city. So can you imagine Smithsburg or Hagerstown or wherever you live without a police department? So they were in great danger and fear and, and a lot of bad stuff happening and, and no way to stop it. So when Nehemiah hears this, he does three things. He starts to mourn. He's grieving for his home. He starts to fast, meaning he stops eating, and he starts to pray. Three good things for all of us to do when we discover or name the problems in our community. If you can't name the problem, you can't fix the problem. If they just said, oh, it's just, just it, Judah's in, in this panic, in this disaster, uh, with no specifics, he didn't know what to do. He wouldn't know where to take action. He wouldn't know what help could, he could provide. But he knew the initial problem 
was the walls and the gates of the city. So he had a wake-up call. He didn't know about this before. Now he knew about it. And you and I need a, probably a wake-up call about our, our community and our society and where we live. Uh, we kind of know what's going on out there, but are we just trying to ignore it? Or are we actually trying to be a change agent? So I put on your outline. If we ignore our community's problems, we just kind of live in our, <coughs> our holy huddle here inside the building or hang out with people like us, uh, then we forfeit the right to influence our community. We have no right to say, hey, you need to listen to us. You need to worship the God we, we worship when we have no interest and we're not providing any solutions to our community's problems. How did the early church impact the world? They didn't have buildings like we did. They were a, a, a vast minority, much more of a ni- minority than we are. And within 300 years, <laughs> they turned the world upside down and became a state religion. How did they do that? By getting their hands dirty, by getting involved in the problems of the community, helping those who are sick and, and the children that are fatherless, etc. <clears throat> Here's what we usually think. We should have influence because we have the truth. We've got the Bible. We've got the truth. We've got Jesus. But the truth is this. We don't have influence because we're right. I mean, we think we're right. We don't have influence, impact our, our society or community because we are right. We have influence when we care. The old adage, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's true. And so why does the community care about the church? Because the church doesn't seem to care about the community. So once we know about the brokenness, we can't ignore what's broken. I think we do that a lot, put our heads in the sand. We know it's been that way. We know there's a drug problem. We know there's uh, kids without nice, good parents. We know there's uh, uh, <clears throat> elderly, the, the poor. It's just all kinds of issues in society. And so we can't ignore what's broken, but I think sometimes we do. Now, Nehemiah couldn't ignore what's broken. That's the next slide, by the way. <laughs> can't ignore what's broken. <clears throat> and so he prayed, he fasted, he grieved. And we may do those things. We say, yeah, I know there's a drug problem in Smithsburg, and I, I'm grieved about that, and I pray about that. I'm even fasting about that. Okay, God, you going to fix it? And I think that's a tendency we have in the church. God's going to fix it. Well, how is God going to fix it? Put on your outline. It's okay to expect a miracle. I expect miracles all the time. We're going to baptize a couple folks this morning. Uh, that transform life. When a person goes from not being a Jesus follower to a Jesus follower, it's the biggest miracle there is. But how does a miracle usually happen? So it's okay to expect a miracle. It's okay to pray for a miracle. But it's not okay to just wait for a miracle. Once you know, you need to go. Nehemiah knew, so he went. Now, it's interesting how he describes himself. Uh, Again, right in the beginning of what he wrote, he says this. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. So he wasn't a religious leader. He wasn't a priest. He, you know, we don't know if he had any position in the church, in the synagogue in his case. We don't know anything about that. All we know is he's a cupbearer. He was an Israelite in Babylon, so he was basically a slave or a servant. But he was a servant to the king. So he was not a lot of things, we say spiritually or religiously, but he had a position of influence, which is significant. 
So your responsibility and my responsibility has nothing to do with your profession. When you say, well, the pastor can do that. Well, <laughs> or the pastors can do that. Or the church leaders can do that. No, every Jesus follower is a minister. That's the way the Bible describes it. We all are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And the way those miracles happen is through our hands and feet. The vast majority of the time. So if we're not using our hands and feet, it's not happening. So, we all have influence of some sort. So leverage what influence you have. Leverage it. Use it. Maybe it's financial. Maybe you're retired and you have time. Maybe you are connected to officials or people in the school or whatever it might be. <clears throat> but why? Why bother? Because we are <laughs> the church. We are God's people. And I look around, I see many of you are involved in different ministries inside and outside the church. And I, and, I, and I look and I say, you guys get it. You understand. You're the hands and feet of Jesus. Can we use more help? More people be involved? Absolutely. Now it's risky. It's always risky. We always say it's messy. So why do it? Because people are worth it. Especially, we're going to talk about children this morning. Children are worth it. They're God's creation. So, we can't expect to rebuild something, rebuild problems, fix problems in our society without it costing us something. And I think that's what we do. Yeah, I'll, I'll pray about it, but then let the government fix it or let somebody else fix it. It's going to cost us something. We, want all, we all want better schools, uh, better communities. We want kids to not be at risk. Special needs community to be taken care of, the poor, uh, the elderly, etc. We all want that. But it's not just enough to want it. We have to be willing to sacrifice. We have to be willing to, to contribute. We've got to be willing to let it cost us something. Now here's kind of a general principle. Proximity always changes your perspective. And if we stay inside these walls, it's easy not to see it. We know it's going on, but we don't see it. But when you rub shoulders, whether it's at the carnival or whatever it might be, when you rub shoulders at the school, uh, the, the uh, day clubs or whatever it might be, when you rub shoulders in the community, when you get involved in community, you have a change of perspective. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's going to get you out of your comfort zone. <laughs> and we all like our little comfort zones. Uh, but I, I look at Jesus and his disciples. They didn't have much of a comfort zone. So we shouldn't expect that. And if you think following Jesus is going to be easy, then you've got somebody taught you wrong. Because it isn't going to be easy. But it can be so rewarding, especially if we make the sacrifices to impact the lives of the people in our community. So the closer we get to the brokenness, the more impact we have. So the more we rub shoulders, the more we spend time with, the more we share with those folks in our community, the more impact we're going to have. We're not going to have impact just sitting in here and just wishing it's going to happen. So this is going to take, for a better word, courage. It's going to take courage. It's going to get, take courage to get out there and, and get involved in, in the messy lives. It's going to take courage to get out there and get involved in the school system and the, and the government and with the police department, the prisons, whatever it might be. Because it's so hard because we see so many problems and we don't think we can influence it. Here's a question I want to ask. Those of you who are part of this church. How do we judge success as a church? 
Is it because we baptize people? I suppose that's part of that. Filling up the seats, that's certainly part of it. But I think Jesus would judge how successful our church is by the impact we have on our community. And sadly, I think it's one of the reasons the church has been so ineffective in recent years is because it isn't involved in community. For whatever reason, it might be political reason, it might be theological reason, it might, whatever it might be. But the early church, they didn't let that stop them. And it shouldn't stop us. And here's a, a, a challenge that I, I believe that God's put on my heart and hopefully on everybody here's heart. <clears throat> every kid, every kid in our community needs an adult who'll show them who Jesus is. They need role models. They need people that uh, embody Jesus, that love like Jesus loves and forgive like Jesus does. Because that's the way people understand. It's not by us talking about it. They need to see it, especially children. There's no substitute for a role model. <clears throat> so we need to get close to our community. We need to get close to the kids or we're going to lose the next generation. We haven't done so good well with the, this past generation. We keep on doing the same old thing. We're going to the same old results. So I'll get back, back to Nehemiah. <clears throat> so he travels to Jerusalem. Well, fascinating. He asked the king. He goes to the king. This was a risky thing. He says, king, hey, I would like a sabbatical. <laughs> I'd like to go back to my hometown for a while. Uh, the king could have cut his head off. He could have fired him. He could have told him no. But he had prayed first. He approached him with the spirit, uh, God's spirit, he felt. And the king said, sure, take as much time as you want. And he gave him money to do this. So he checks out the, the city of Jerusalem, takes a little tour. Then he meets with the people and says this. You know very well the trouble we are in. Of course, it's him, part, his, his, his nation, his people. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in this disgrace, it's been going on for a hundred years. And all of a sudden, Nehemiah gets there and says, hey, okay, okay let's, let, let's change things. Let's do something different. Now, here's the amazing thing. What did the people say? What did the people say? They've been there, many of them have been there for years and nothing had happened. They said, yeah, at once. Not, oh, let me think about it and let me pray about it. Uh, maybe, you know, sometime in the future. At once, yes, let us rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. So people volunteered. All the people volunteered. So they were bankers and lawyers and doctors and shopkeepers and, and housewives and all these different people volunteered to build these walls. <clears throat> so that's why I put on your outline. Do something you don't know how to do. Well, I don't know how to work with that, that group, or I don't know how to work with kids. Well, let me ask you something. How did you learn most of the stuff you know how to do? By doing it, right? Once upon a time, I didn't know how to build stuff. And then I learned how to be a carpenter. Uh, once upon a time, I didn't know how to preach. Maybe you still don't think I know how to preach. But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, I, 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 you just have to start doing it. And it's, I feel bad for congregations for young guys because we're not very good when we're stuck. Uh, but we all have to learn. You make mistakes. That's part of the learning process. So do something you don't know how to do. Why again? Because people are worth it. Kids are worth it. And if you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, we're glad that you're here because I'm sure you care about your community too. But the, the love of Christ is supposed to compel us. 
And if it doesn't compel us to do that, there's something about our relationship with Jesus. Now again, it's, it's hard to do it alone. That's why we say we can do more together. Again, is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. I don't think we signed up for easy. I didn't sign up for easy. Hopefully you didn't sign up for easy either. So here's another fascinating thing about the story. Everybody needed to rebuild the town was already there. They didn't say, oh, let's, let's get a couple hundred folks from Babylon and bring them in to build the walls. The people that were already there took up the work. Oh, when our church gets bigger, we'll do that. No, 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 no. The people are already here to do what God wants us to do and want us to impact our community. I think a problem we get sometimes, we stop dreaming. We just stop dreaming. We stop thinking about what we can do, what's got possible with being the hands and feet of, feet of Jesus. James, a brother of Jesus, wrote something that I know is convicting of me. He said, faith without what? Works, that means doing something, putting your hands and feet, getting dirty, is what? What's the next word? Dead, he says it's dead. Something is dead has no influence, no power. So we can sit in here and worship all we want, which is great and it's wonderful and I love it and I'm glad we do it. But if that's all we do, our faith is dead. Paul, I mean, uh, James said that, not me, okay? So, we got to work. Here's a quick setup. Uh, Place armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall, stationed people to stand guard by families. This was brilliant. Armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then I looked over the situation. Next verse. Call together the nobles and the rest of them. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So what was his strategy? He made it personal. It's not about them. It's about you. It's about your family, your brothers, your sister, your sons, and your daughters. And when I think it's about me that motivates me, doesn't it? And so it's not, it's not the, those folks out in the community. It's our community, my community, my neighbors. So when the parents stood in the gap, this is amazing, this is fascinating. When the parents stood in the gap, the enemy decided not to attack. When they pulled together as a group, as families and as a group, the enemy didn't attack. That was a game changer. So we need to think bigger. And there's not much more to the story than just building the walls because the people's faith was connected to the walls. And they had very little faith when they didn't build the walls. Once they built the way, as they built the walls, they built their faith. My wife didn't like this next statement, but I thought it was pretty good, and I'll try to explain what I meant. Expect to see God but not necessarily the God you expect. What God do you expect? Do you expect God to just solve the drug problem in Smithsburg? The poor problem? Crime problem? Do you just expect Him to show up and do miracles? He can. He's done it. Doesn't do it very often. How does God often, normally, show up. You. That's how he shows up. They built the walls back in 52 days. Isn't that amazing? 
52 days, the walls got rebuilt. So I'm going to just make three, draw three conclusions quickly from what happened after the walls were built. <clears throat> First, those outside changed what they believed about God. So if the, those outside are ignoring God, we hopefully will change what they believe about God. In their case, what happened? When the enemies and surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work, building of the walls, had been done with the help of our God. They saw something miraculous, whether it was the cooperation or the speed of the wall getting built, whatever it might have been, they, those outside, those that weren't Jesus followers, God followers, realized there's something supernatural going on here. There's something power we don't understand going on. So that was one result. The next result was this. Those inside, this would have been the Israelites, changed how they listened to God. This is amazing to me. Let me read this next verse to you. This is chapter 8, verse 3. From morning to noon, he, meeting the high priest, read aloud to everyone who could understand. Okay, so we, our church service is an hour long. This is what, four or five hours? And he didn't get up there and do a teaching. He just got the Old Testament, first five books of the Old Testament, and started reading for four or five hours. Now, I don't know if you've ever read those first five books of the Old Testament, especially the halfway through Exodus and the rest. It's probably the most boring part of the Bible. So, okay, you got this in your head? Four or five hours to listen to a guy stand up and reading the most boring part of the Bible. And all the people listen closely to the book of the law. They're excited. They listened. They want to see what God had to say to them. Could we be better listeners? Absolutely. And thirdly, this is amazing too. Our generation changed how they worship God. In verse 17 of that chapter, he says this. They, the Israelites, were filled with great joy. They had not celebrated like this since the days of Joshua. You know how long that had been? Almost a thousand years. Almost a thousand years. They stopped doing the Passover, which started with Moses just before Joshua. Stopped doing the Passover, the, the animal sacrifices. Uh, uh, they all stopped. They hadn't worshipped like this in a thousand years. So working together can change. It's our theme. Working together can change the way or how a generation sees God. Folks, we need to imagine bigger. And we want to encourage you to join us. Whether this is your first time here or you've been here a lot of times. And you've got a slip of paper like this in your materials because we can more, do more together. we just love for you to just put some general information on there. And we really want help with our children's ministry on Sundays as well as Vacation Bible School coming up in August. If you have a preference of age group, you can mark that. And we'll collect these, as I said, uh, in a few minutes. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. We thank you for the privilege we have to be your hands and feet. And we must confess at times we get lazy or uninvolved. 
whether it's because the problems seem too big or we don't think we can have, have the skills or we don't think we can change something. God, forgive us for that attitude. A willing spirit is, is all we need. So I pray the folk, for the folks here. God, we don't know what that's going to look like, but at this point, we're just asking for willing spirits. Uh, willing to say, hey, yes, I want to help change our community, which consequently will change our church. God, I thank you for the volunteers we do have. They're awesome. We don't thank them enough, but we could use so many more. Uh, we're not, we don't have the impact we should have in this community. God, I thank you for these folks here. I pray that they are listening carefully to your voice. And if anyone here might not be a Jesus follower, we invite you to step across that line to accept the love of Christ, uh, forgiveness of sin. You can have a clear conscience no matter what you've done. You don't have to change first. Just, just accept the gift. Let God love you. We thank you for those decisions. In Jesus' name, amen.